0: Hey, folks. Welcome to the AABIP podcast. This is Samir Avasarala from Case Western Reserve University School of Medicine in Cleveland, Ohio. I am your host for this episode. Thank you all for joining us today. It'll be a terrific discussion on the latest and greatest in guided bronchoscopy, including fluoroscopic navigation. Today, we're very fortunate to have Rob Lentz join us. Rob is an assistant professor in both thoracic surgery and the Division of Allergy, Pulmonary, and Critical Care Medicine at Vanderbilt in Nashville, Tennessee. Welcome, Rob. Rob, do you have any conflicts of interest to disclose? Nope. All right. As a reminder, the views expressed on this podcast are those of the speaker in mind and not necessarily endorsed by the AABIP. With the formalities done, let's get started. One of the most frequent procedures we perform is peripheral bronchoscopy to sample suspicious nodules. The toolbox these these days is quite full. Rob, from a 30,000-foot view, what's the current landscape of platforms that allow for guided bronchoscopy?
1: Uh, So this is um, uh, quite a crowded landscape these days and, and getting increasingly so, which is good and I think reflects the... Uh, our industry partners are, are viewing um, lung cancer in particular as a as an area to grow into uh, so I, I think what's dominated the market um, for the last decade at least has been uh, various forms of electromagnetic navigation bronchoscopy um, things like super D or leumacyte or, or Varen system um, the other uh, technologies that have been around a while are still out there. Uh, virtual uh, bronchoscopic navigation uh, still exists in some forms. Thin um, uh, and ultrasound scopes have been out for a while and are still, uh, still in use. Um, the, the newer technology are the so-called robotic or, or robot-assisted, probably more accurate, robot-assisted uh, bronchoscopic platforms um, uh, ion from Intuitive, uh, which is uh, a shape-sensing uh, navigational sen- you know, technology. Um, and then uh, uh, Oris, uh, Monarch from Oris is uh, electromagnetic in its base form, um, are are uh, seemingly increasingly popular and certainly uh, very popular uh, topics of discussion in our circles. And then there's a whole host of... Um, uh, of tools and, and uh, other confirmation devices. So uh, a lot of these uh, platforms can be used with other technologies. You can even combine some of these. So uh, yeah, things like uh, uh, real-time image guidance or, or more high fidelity real-time image guidance of so cone beam CT, uh, CO spin, um, uh, digital tomosynthesis or, or other tomographic uh, uh, ways of confirming where you are with uh, just the C-arm that you have in your room. Um, and then uh, radial and bronchial ultrasound, um, uh, 2D fluoro, of course, is, is kind of ever present and, and things like ROSE to confirm uh, diagnostic sampling in the room, all are kind of part of this package. I think um, the 10th, the so that's the 3000 foot view, the 10,000 foot view is uh, to, to successfully sample a peripheral lesion, you need three things you need uh, something that will will get you close, some, some form of navigation or guidance that will get you in the neighborhood within a few centimeters, ideally, of your target lesion. And mm-hmm. once you're there, you need something that will tell you exactly where that target is. Uh, and ideally that will feed back into whatever navigation system you're using or guidance system you're using that will uh, instruct you how to point your catheter or point your tool uh, directly towards that lesion. And then you need something that's going to get you uh, diagnostic tissue. So uh, the thing that I think we we often neglect in these discussions is the biopsy tools. W- what tools are we using? What tools are out there? What are the limitations uh, and what are the opportunities for developing new new biopsy tool technology to actually get the, the uh, diagnostic specimens that we need?
0: So it sounds like we've come a long way from just using a bronchoscope and a fluoroscopy machine. And it's an interplay between different technologies to make sure we're at the right spot and we're using the right tools to get the right amount of tissue that we need for our pathologists to make the diagnosis that we need. Yep, exactly. So with the overview you just went through, it also seems that bronchoscopists have many options these days about guidance technology. What tools are you currently using at your shop? Uh, so we um,
1: our our kind of longest term uh, technology here has been um, the various iterations of the super dimension system now Lumisite. Um, we have tried other systems uh, as well. Um, we also have um, the uh, ion uh, robotic system uh, here, uh, and then uh, Rebus is is used in all cases. 2D floor in all cases. Um, we have access to comb beam on occasions as well. Um, but so that's what we're we're using. And, and we're using the um, lumicide and, and the ion basically inter- interchangeably.
0: That's excellent. So it sounds like a, a nice spread of tools. I, I think we can all agree that interventional pulmonology is fairly aggressive in adopting new technology. And you know, sometimes I question if we adopt it too quickly. With all these choices out there, is there good data to, to back any of this up?
1: Um. Uh, in a in a word, no, or or a qualified no. Uh, I, I think we have uh, fairly good data that using various forms of guided bronchoscopy to sample peripheral lesions uh, is uh, is fairly high yield, <clears throat> at least in in expert hands. The problem with this literature, going back as long as this literature has existed, um, is that. Uh, the majority of, of the data on peripheral sampling or guided sampling in, in bronchoscopy, uh, they're predominantly single center, uh, uh, retrospective, sometimes prospective, but uh, uncontrolled studies. Um, and, and we we certainly have a a, a dearth of of comparative trials, um, and, and kind of more rigorous um, uh, studies. And so, uh, as a result, the the elephant in the room for all of the, the studies that have been done on yield. Uh, well, there are several elephants. One is um, uh, all of these, these cases are, are cherry picked. We, we go after nodules that we think we have a chance at. We counsel patients that have nodules that we think we've got no shot at or, or, or not a good chance at to do something else. <clears throat> and so our yields are, are kind of automatically um, inflated a bit, I, I think, by that. And then, uh, of course, how we define diagnostic yield is its whole other can of worms that we probably don't have time to, to get completely into. Um, but uh, the definitions used in in many studies, well, they don't match and uh, are are not very uh, conservative in, in a lot of our work. And so. Um, uh, we don't have um, we don't have great data uh, on on which platform is, is better. We have accumulated enough data that suggests that at least in, in expert centers where most of these studies emanate from diagnostic yield, however that's qualified, uh, is quite high and, and is rivaling that of, transthoracic needle biopsy, which is the other major minimally invasive modality for, for biopsy of peripheral lung lesion. Their literature, by the way, also uh, falls prey to these same biases of, of picking your, your nodules and cherry picking. Um, and uh, there's never been a comparative trial. Um, there's one ongoing, um, but prior to that, never been a comparative trial between these two major modalities. Within um, within bronchoscopy, and, and we have all these platforms, we, we have not done a great job of, of doing comparative research. Um, and and I, th- I think there's a number of reasons for that. Um, I, ideally, in a perfect world, these new uh, platforms coming out uh, would, would have more evidence before they're FDA approved. Uh, and in fact, they aren't FDA approved, uh, almost universally. Uh, the, the new toys and tools and, and platforms we get or FDA cleared by a 510k mm-hmm. pathway, uh, and so um, there is not a requirement for a robust demonstration of, of efficacy, at least not comparative efficacy uh, to, to existing legacy platforms. So, um, all that said, we, we don't have great data. We have got yeah, many, uh, you know, single center, some even multi center, but but um, not randomized, not controlled trials suggesting yields for kind of all of the platforms we've talked about in the, or at least, you know, the, the major uh, EMN and, and robotic platforms in the neighborhood of 75 to 85%. And, and uh, we don't know uh, kind of what and where in that range uh, things will fall when we rigorously study this and whether one will be better, whether they're equivalent. Uh, I think we, we just simply uh, don't know. And then the other part of this is, so if I'm, a, if I'm a hospital administrator uh, and um, I'm, I'm contemplating the new technology to buy, if I don't have any of these technologies, uh, how are how it, these things cost different amounts? What do they have to guide them? Um, we don't have efficacy data that's comparative. We also don't have much in the way of cost effectiveness data. So there's, I think, a whole lot uh, here that we could, um, that we can study and learn from.
0: Absolutely. I I completely agree. Seems like it's a market space that has several players on the field. Now with, I would say hundreds of interventional pulmonologists across the country at at different centers, why do you think it's been so challenging to get a head-to-head randomized control trial going between some of these platforms?
1: Um, I I think there's a lot of reasons. For one, I I think there's, there's not a lot of impetus from a lot of of the industry partners to, to do this, uh, you know, you, you think about the, the two robotic assisted platforms that have come out recently. Uh, it, they're generating, you know, folks are generating data similar to the data that previously was generated for the EMN systems and, and what have you that are showing about the same yields and so they're saying, you know, apples to apples we're doing the same thing they did and, and we're showing similar yields. Um, kind of ignoring all of us ignoring the fact that all of this data is is a little bit suspect and so um but i don't think um it would be certainly a risk for them what if they what if they you know funded a a high quality study and found that their new platform was inferior Uh, Mm -hmm. that would certainly pose a a problem and so uh and when they don't need to to generate such data before being cleared um the, the impetus just isn't there uh, so I, I think um, in a world where for the for the foreseeable future, 510 uh, K is going to be the way that we get most of our tools and the 510 K debate is certainly beyond the scope here. But um, I think it's going to be uh, on us as a community who uses these tools and has patients with these problems that, that require, uh, you know, sampling of, of peripheral lesions, et cetera, um, to do what we can to generate data and um, uh, there are certainly logistical. There's a lot of logistical challenges, even in independent funding and whatever. Um, there's there's lots of logistical challenges in designing a randomized trial comparing these platforms, um, uh, that that, that uh, certainly also come into play. And so uh, I, that said, I, I'm hoping that we can uh, figure out as a as a group um, how we can develop um, studies to compare new. Er, Evaluate in, in some meaningful way and ideally compare new technology coming out by these 510 k uh, clearances, um, because this is going to be the way that that everything goes for a long time in our in our world and so uh, whether that's, you know, forming multi multi-centered collaborations. Um, uh, or, uh, to, you know, developing trials with with um, some industry support if we can garnish that uh, I think we're going to have to think hard about how we might do that.
0: Yeah. So what I, what I heard is it sounds like from the manupac- manufacturer perspective, doing a head to head randomized control trial within comparing two different technologies would be high risk but little reward. Would you agree?
1: Yeah. You I, know. I, yeah. I, I think it just isn't. Um, it's not something they need to do. I, I mean, you you look at the uptake already of the robotic assisted platforms, right? They came out uh, with with very Little data. um, And despite that, there's a ton of enthusiasm about them because I think there's a lot of reasons for that. And it's not entirely misplaced either, but uh, they feel like the future. uh, just to put it very simply, and so I, I think that alone is enough to kind of carry the day, and and certainly they are they're you know both platforms are backed by, uh, by uh, companies that are dedicated to them and and are I think by and large doing the right thing, um, but uh, but generating data isn't one of them, uh, and so I think that's that's now up to us.
0: Absolutely. So Rob, you mentioned that you have the ion at Vanderbilt. From your personal opinion, what what's your pro and con or pro and cons on that system from using it?
1: So um, the ion, uh, uh, what I what I think it does best is that I think it gets you, it, it gets you close to you know that, that kind of first domain that I talked about. It gets you in the neighborhood, gets you in the ballpark, within a few centimeters of most nodules, um, with a, a fairly minimal amount of of uh, effort, or at least troubleshooting. Um, And I think this is important um, because the other thing that we haven't really touched on today is that, uh, you know, a difficult to use system that you get really good with uh, works if you do 500 NAVs a year, right? Um, But I think we also need to consider the the more average user of a lot of these technologies who might Mm -hmm. do 25 cases a year, um, uh, or is just picking up peripheral guided bronchoscopy for the first time and is learning and, and a novice at these techniques. Uh, I, I think that uh, we need to think about designing systems that will allow those folks, which I suspect are the majority of, of people or of cases kind of writ large. Um, I, I think we need to care about making these technologies user-friendly so that, so that uh, a, a less heavy user can still see uh, decent success with them and Uh, In that vein, I I do think that the robot that the the ion at least gets you um, in the neighborhood of the target with with pretty high fidelity, um, with a minimal amount of of troubleshooting. And so I think that's uh, strongly in its favor in this kind of broader, broader scope. Um, The um, where we've had some uh, and the other thing in its favor is that you can control the articulation distally at the distal catheter, which you cannot do. You can pick a curve with with a catheters, for example, um, but you can't you can't adjust once you kind of get to the to the target zone. So, uh, it, and, and for that reason, I, I think uh, the the robot has been particularly good in the middle third, um, where uh, things like a have some trouble. It's a, it's a bit harder to, to get middle third lesions that are eccentric, um, easier with the, the robot. So, I, I particularly like it for that uh, that zone of the lung. Um it's uh issues with it. I mean it's I'd say overall for first generation platform, it's it's performed, it's exceeded our expectations, I, I suppose I'll say. Um it's uh it doesn't have uh CT to body diversions correction like an Illumisite platform does with, with Floronav. So that second domain, you know, find, knowing exactly where to turn and where to where to point your needle to uh once you get in the neighborhood of the nodule. Um, that, that's where it doesn't have quite as robust uh, a backing. Um, and so, uh, uh, and then in, in a few cases, smaller airways, uh, it's had some trouble getting to the edge of the lung. Um, we've had to take it cross country here and there. Um, doesn't come up a lot, but it does come up sometimes. So that's, that's my kind of brief pro-con for, uh, for the ion.
0: And you mentioned some of this in your talk about the pro-con with the ion. To discuss the other side of the coin a bit, um, what do you like most and least about the Illumisight system?
1: Yeah, so kind of the opposite. So um, the, the far and away, the, the most important and most compelling feature in, in uh, SuperD Illumisight is uh, uh, fluoroscopic navigation. So digital tomosynthesis uh, near real-time, real-time in the case, but near real-time to your biopsy. Um, correction for CT body divergence. So, uh, you know, you, we all plan based on pre-procedure scans. Uh, in an ideal awake patient, we see where the nodule is. And, and then when we anesthetize that patient and do the procedure and it's been a little while and they've got some lateral atelectasis here and there, the nodule has moved with respect to that original planning CT, where is it now? Uh, and so uh, with digital telmosynthesis correction, you do a CRM sweep. Um, and you can see exactly where that nodule is in the present time, and then it feeds back into the system and tells you, okay, here's where it is now. Turn this way, that way to, to get to it. And and this isn't necessarily unique to, to Lumisite, you know, body vision, lung vision has a similar principle. Um, but uh that, that I think is hugely important. You know, we, we thought we were pretty good at navigation with just kind of the, the pre, you know, using super deep before fluorine and, mm-hmm. and when we actually when we got FloraNav and, and started studying it and, and look back at what we had been doing without it. Our yields were only about 55%. I mean, small median nodule size, 1.5 centimeters or so. We, we are fairly aggressive, but we thought we were better than that. We were not. And then with the addition of uh, Florinav, uh and its various iterations, yields our yields, which we published have been you know, 80 to 85%. So it was a huge step up and it's, it's enormously powerful. Um, and so that is far and away my favorite thing about, uh, about a lumicide. Um And the challenges we have with it are kind of the flip side of what I just talked about. You can't articulate the catheter. So uh, if I need a, a 90 degree catheter to even get into, to, you know, to make a couple proximal turns, but I've got a, a you know, a bronchus sign, the, the rare mythical bronchus sign peripherally, I might have too much bend in the periphery and, and it makes my biopsy more challenging. Um, And it's not as good in the middle third, where uh, it it can't bend enough in some cases. So uh, that's where I see uh, it having some trouble.
0: So it sounds like we've yet to develop and and use a a perfect system, but we're, we're getting there. So million dollar question, Rob. Let's say tomorrow you get the opportunity to open up the the Rob Lentz Institute of Bronchoscopy, and you get to pick one platform uh, that you have to use for the next three to five years. What's it going to be? Uh,
1: that is a very good question, uh, <clears throat> and it's it's so. I I think I would approach this from two ways. If if I had, let's say, I have an Illumise system already. Uh, and uh, I am and trying to. And I'm contemplating whether it's worth spending capital to to upgrade or to change to one of the robotic systems. Uh, I don't know. I don't think we have that data uh, uh, yet. And and I, if I'm a hospital administrator, I think I have some some trouble with that uh, request. Um, if uh, I'm someone who is has never used any, I, I don't have any any guidance at my shop right now. And especially if I'm a novice user, I, I do like the, um, the ion for more novice users. I, th- I think it is more user-friendly and, and gets you close. Um, and, and I think uh, as a, as a platform, you know, this is, this is kind of the first generation system. Uh, I, I suspect that they are learning from what's good in, in other systems like digital film synthesis and uh, I suspect that in future generations of the system um, in, in the form of upgrades, there is going to be more robust, um, you know, CT body divergence. And so uh, if, if I am platformless at the moment, I, I think I give the, the uh, eye ion a strong look. Um, I, my personal bias, though, is you compare the two in their current generations and, and yields in expert hands are probably about the same. I, I think you I think it would be. It'd be hard pressed to say that one is probably more is superior to the other in their current form.
0: Yeah, I would say that's fair. We'll have to see what uh, newer and newer data continues to show us about uh, these um, iterations of the latest and greatest technology that we use on a day-to-day basis. Any closing comments, Rob, about things we haven't covered?
1: No, I mean, I think the the third domain is the thing that we always kind of gloss over, but I think biopsy tools are important. Um, uh, I mean, we can see, e- even with existing tools, um, you know, uh, what tools are used by different people varies pretty widely. Uh, I mean, you saw in, in, in Acquire that needle use was very low, uh, which in multiple studies have shown to be actually the most powerful tool that we have, um, and, and seems to still be neglected by by many. So, uh, and, and then newer tools, like mini cryoprobes, I'm quite excited about, you know, with the the bane of our existence is that you know tiny eccentric peripheral nodule, and, and you can see it with Rebus, and you just can't figure out exactly where it is to turn into it, to get a needle into it. Uh, I'm really looking forward to parking a, a mini cryoprobe right where I'm getting that eccentric signature and, and freezing and pulling. Um, uh, we don't have that data, I think, just yet, but uh, I think it is in, in process. And so biopsy tools, I think, are going to be, um, we shouldn't neglect them, and I think they're going to be important. Uh, and then I, th- I think again, we need to consider the average user, not just the expert users, um, and uh, and be mindful that all this all this these new toys coming out are, are going to be uh, ripe for data collection that will not be done before mm-hmm. they're cleared. Uh, and, and so we need to bone up on our, our systems to study um, these technologies.
0: Rob, that was great. I learned a lot today. I'm sure our listener did as well. Thank you for your time.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.